This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back listening to Militantly Mixed. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, a podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine, the busiest mixed race bisexual polyamorous atheist comic book nerd cat mom podcaster in this podcasting game. And I'm laughing because I hope I don't sound terrible, but I'm actually talking to you right now from my phone, in my car, in my parking garage, underneath my building, because I have a friend staying with me for a few weeks as they're moving here to L.A. And their current sleeping space is my recording space. And we it's just it's really hard having three people in a small apartment. I can't find a time to record my intros. So I just decided that temporarily. My recording studio is going to be inside my car. <laughs> um, but I didn't go and get my recording, my portable recording device. I'm recording it on my phone right now because I was already down here. And yeah, I hope it doesn't sound terrible. We're definitely going to hear some cars and people walking and things like that. But, um, uh, you know, I hope you bear with me for a few weeks while I'm in this uh, this flux, I guess. Um, but I'm really excited about this week's episode. My guest this week is Mona Lisa. She is of Chinese and Jamaican heritage or Chimacan, as she likes to call herself. And, you know, I'm always excited when I get a chance to speak to a fellow black Asian mixed person or Blasian. Our experiences as Black Asians are very different from the experiences of mixed white Asians. And so far, I haven't actually had a chance to speak to mixed Asians that are also of non-white or non-black mixes. Uh, so I haven't had a chance to to share those stories yet as I haven't really in, encountered them yet. But I'm always pretty excited when I get a chance to speak to a fellow Blasian just because I feel like it's the closest to being similarly mixed to me, you know, regardless of what they're Asian and what they're black is. So with Mona Lisa being Chinese and Jamaican, those are two cultures that are different from my cultures. And it was really cool to get a chance to kind of compare and talk about what our mixed um, experiences are. And we talked about the culture shock of different living in different countries and language and assimilation It was such a good conversation. I cannot wait to share it with you. But before I do that, as you know, Militantly Mix is a fan-sponsored podcast. And with your support, you're really, really helping keeping me going. Your sponsorship helps keep me able to produce the show because of the rest of the stuff that is going on in my life. So your support has been just, I can't even, I mean, I, I know I say it all the time, but it's, it just really, really helps keep me going. Uh, right now, we are currently at $311 a month. We're trying to hit a $500 a month goal. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed and sponsor the show as low as a dollar a month to as high as anything you wish. And there's different reward levels depending on what you sponsor at. And if you'd like to sponsor the show, but you don't want to commit to a monthly sponsorship, you can go to paypal.me slash militantly mixed. And drop us some coins in that tip jar. And I really, really do appreciate that. 
what else we got going on? Um, we did have a little weekend sale, like not a sale, but a free shipping thing. Unfortunately, I didn't find out about it until I recorded last week's episode. So I posted about it on Friday over the weekend uh, on social media that Teespring was offering free shipping to anybody who purchased within the Militantly Mixed store. So if you, I hope you saw those posts. If you wanted a shirt and you wanted free shipping, if you didn't, the shirts are still always available. It's just that the company Teespring, who who does our print on demand, actually was offering um, free shipping themselves. So unfortunately, that's gone by the time you're hearing this. But um, it was kind of a nice thing to have available to everybody. And of course, you can always go to Teespring and search for the Militantly Mixed store if you want some Militantly Mixed t-shirt, totes, and mug kind of swag or enamel pins, the mini buttons, and the vinyl stickers. You can go to our Etsy store. And both of those links are in the show notes. I think that's pretty much it. I don't really have that many announcements. Just a lot going on, working like crazy, have a friend staying with us, trying to book some events in different places, uh, waiting to hear back from a couple of conferences that I'm hoping I'm getting a chance to speak at, things like that. So at the moment, I really don't have any hard things to, um, to announce, just a whole bunch of me putting it out there this year. 2020 is a year I'm going to be speaking more often. I'm pushing towards it. I already booked a couple events. I'm hoping to book some more, especially now that I know that I'll be in LA um, a lot longer than I originally thought. So if you got your mixed race events and you want somebody to come out and chat, holla at Jermaine. I am here to do this. This is my year of going out and speaking more often. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We've actually had a pretty big boost lately of people joining the Facebook private group, which is great. I hope you're introducing yourselves and engaging. Got a couple introductions popped up uh, on Saturday, which was nice. And uh, like, we want to know what's going on with you. We want to we want to hear from you and we want to engage with you on the topic of mixedness. If you have an idea or a post that you want to put out there, please put it out. Uh, but it's been it's been awesome to see that much growth on all of the social media channels. Let's start engaging more often and um, and supporting each other. If you if you're doing something mixed out there that you want to share with a group that you want some support on a podcast, a, a YouTube channel, a social media channel of any kind, I guess is a Pinterest page something that you would share with other people. I don't know. Uh, but if you're doing that kind of stuff, let us know so that we can showcase it and talk about it on the show. And uh, yeah. So without further ado, please help me welcome Mona Lisa to the Militantly Mixed family. So my guest this week, I'm so glad to be able to have guests back to back now. It, it makes me feel like the show is back on track. Um, my guest this week is Mona Lisa, who reached out to me through Instagram. Mona Lisa, why don't you tell everybody who you are and what, what you're about so we can get into it? Sure. So like like she said, my name's Mona Lisa. Um, I, I w- was born in Hong Kong um, back in the 90s. Um, my dad is Cantonese, um, and my mom's Jamaican. Um, I lived there when I was 12, and then we moved to America um, for middle school. And I've been here since. It's been at least 15 years since mm-hmm. I've been here. 
Um, I currently work in the health healthcare field. Mm-hmm. Um, I work at an ur- urban um, children's hospital where um, I'm the supervisor of patient experience. I also do a lot of translating for families because I speak multiple languages. Mm-hmm. Um, it's um it's been my life has been pretty cool, you know, to be able to um to live in another at least two countries and experience. Um, my Chinese culture, my Jamaican culture, and my American culture somehow in the mix um, has made my life pretty interesting and fun. So I'm very glad to um, come on this podcast to um, to discuss about you know these things. So. Right. I'm a, I'm excited. You you and I talked before, so we both know this, but we're both pretty excited to meet another Black Asian, even <laughs> even, even though we don't come from yeah. the same. Um, Asian background, we we get really excited when we find each other because we know there's not many of us out there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the, the the term I believe is called Blasian, B L A S I A N. Um, you know, so yeah, we yeah, do have so a term for that. <laughs> a lot of people do use Blasian. I, from from my purposes, I do like to say Blackanese because it's the one that oh. makes it obvious that I'm Japanese because oh. of the Anis. Uh, but if I'm in a if I'm in a space where there's other Blasians, I I will be Blasian in that moment too for solidarity purposes. <laughs> oh, all right, all right. And I think I told you too. I made up my own term. Oh Jamaican. yeah, yeah. Say it again. <laughs> Jamaican. I love Jamaican. <laughs> it's so mm-hmm. good. No, I think it's I think it's awesome. <laughs> So I thought your experience was really interesting because you have sort of segments of your life where you were predominantly living in a Chinese experience and then an American experience, which was very similar, you said, to the Black American experience because of the way, mm-hmm. where you were at. And now in your life, you are starting to have more access to your Jamaican side. Yes. So I know you speak Cantonese and Mandarin. Do you also speak Patois? Am I saying so- that right? Yes, Jamaican Patois, yes. So what happened was, um, this is probably one of, I don't want to use the term regrets, but this is one of the things that I wish I explored or learned earlier in life. Mm. So um, when we lived in Hong Kong, Obviously, the language there is Cantonese mm-hmm. and secondary language English. Um, my father, from a Chinese spe- uh, standpoint, didn't believe that it was useful for us to learn Patois. So he did not encourage us to learn it. Okay. And then when we came to America, when I was 12, he it was a similar sentiment. Like, hey, you know, I... Uh, we want you to properly learn English because we're not, um, an English-speaking country now. Um, we don't want you to be bullied. Uh, we, we want you to properly immerse in the American culture. So focus, you know, learning your English and go mm. from there. So it wasn't until recently um, I married. I married a Jamaican man um, three years ago um, that I start to be more I start to explore more on that side of my culture um, that um, I realized, wow, it would have been nice if right. I, know, I know how to say a few words or a few sentences, you know, because, you know, it gets a little bit awkward when I go to New York City um, to see, you know, his family. Mm. And we go to ultra Jamaican. We go to his at their church, ultra Jamaican. We go to we're in the ultra 
you can't get as Jamaican as that. Other, outside of Jamaica, that is Jamaica. That's outside the other of Jamaica. Jamaica. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I am starting to, you know, learn to just by default living with a Jamaican. Mm-hmm. I by default, you know, picked up a few words in there, um, and I'm, I'm I understand the language, but um, okay. But yeah, I wish I learned that earlier. But um, but hey, I'm still young. I yeah. still have a lot of time to catch up. So yeah, you'll get there. <laughs> So how did your mom feel about not being able to to teach Patois to you as a child? Well, that's a good question. I guess I never really asked my mom that question. I think um I think my parents kind of made that compromise like they actually agreed that you know it's probably better that they don't focus on learning Patois. Mm-hmm. Um she never she never expressed to me that she was upset or not happy that we don't know it. Mm-hmm. I think, honestly, um, when we were in Hong Kong, she was more focused on building up our self-confidence, mm. you know, because we, you know, we don't look like anybody there. Right. Um, we're, we, we're the only ones, we're, we're the dark girls, we're the dark curly girls everywhere we go, whether it's school, on the streets, in the park at church, anywhere, you know, we look so different than other people. Mm-hmm. I think our parents were way more focused building up our confidence, say, hey, it's okay to be different than, you know, trying to learn this language that we won't use in, right. in Hong Kong. So mm-hmm. when you came to the States, did you transition to speaking English at home as well, so that you did, so that it helped your assimilation, or did you continue to speak um, Cantonese at home more? Um, we we do. Uh, so when we were in in Hong Kong, it was just Cantonese, some English here and there, mm-hmm. and then two years before, so we knew before we knew. So I moved here at twelve. We knew at ten years old that we were moving. Mm-hmm. So those two years, um, my mom kind of prepped us. So, you know, kind of um, spoke more English in the house. And then when we made, you know, the, the, the hard move, then uh, we added more English into the household. Um, but we always spoke chi- uh, Chinese in the household. But um, definitely moving to America, it was more more English in the house. Um, I did went to ESL in middle school. <laughs> it was, mm-hmm. It's something embarrassing for me to share sometimes, but, um, but I did um, seventh grade when I first moved here. Um, you know, I did had to go to um, ESL for a little bit because well, my accent was so heavy. If it makes you so. feel better, I'm born here in the United States and I had to go to ESL because I was raised by both my Japanese grandmother and my British grandmother. Oh, so I spoke oh, wow. broken Japanese English with a British accent and nobody understood me. Wow. So even though I'm wow. born here and English is my first, my only language, um, I sounded so confusing. <laughs> to people that they said me ESL as well. So don't feel too bad. Don't feel shame about it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Now, do you think, do you think, have you always had that fear that, you know, you've never gotten out of that? Because sometimes I do wonder, like, you know, do I still have a heavy accent? Do people still understand me? You know, Um, Uh, do you ever? I don't personally, because I code switch quite a bit. I jump between Mm. my pronunciation or my cadence or my accents, depending on who I'm speaking with. 
So I grew up in um, a, a split between, well, we moved around a lot, but where I feel like I'm the most from, I guess, is Long Beach. And I was, I was only in Long Beach from sixth grade to 10th grade or the start of 10th grade, I guess. And so, but that's when I was a preteen. That's when I was kind of becoming who I was. Well, I lived in the hood then. So I had a very oh. hood accent. So if I see other oh. hood people, I will, I, my accent will change and I will talk like a hood girl. But the, the, the accent that you hear me speaking with right now is my, the accent that I cultivated when I got into the work, in the workplace. Mm. So I don't even think of this as really my natural accent, although it's, it's, it's currently the, the way I speak most often. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not how I was, I wasn't brought up speaking this like this. Um, and as an elementary school and things like that, I, I would kind of go in between my Japanese and English, which was really just a couple words here and there. It wasn't like mm -hmm. I was fluent by any means, but you know, living, living more of my time with my Japanese grandmother, mm -hmm. I, um, there were some words I only knew in Japanese first, you know, mm -hmm. uh, so I had to adapt to that. Uh, so I don't really have any shame related to that. I, where I have shame is if I'm trying to speak any Japanese to a person from Japan. Um, uh, if I speak to an American-born Japanese, it doesn't bother me that I don't have a very good, you know, accent or pronunciation. Uh, but when I speak to real Japanese, like, quote-unquote real Japanese, I feel uncomfortable then. That's that's the closest to feeling shame about the way I sound um, uh, that I get. Yeah. But you still deal with that a little bit? You still kind of have concern because i know that was actually one of the questions you asked me do i sound like an american or do i sound is yes. obvious? yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. yes i still i i i guess you know for me you know because you know Im being an immigrant and you know always wanting to fit in um mm -hmm. i guess that's something that i always um, wonder or worry about in the back of my head. Right. Um, I did. I do remember going to college. I had a, actually grad school. I had an amazing moment in grad school where um, there was this speaker. She came to. It's nothing to do with language or anything. Um, when I was in grad school, we had a speaker that came in about management. She was there to give tips about because I was taking a management course. And uh, one of her points was, you know, you need to learn how to enunciate so that people know what you're talking about and that you can properly um, drive your points through mm. when you're speaking to an audience. So at the end of that class, I, I went to the side and asked her, you know, I, 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 I loved your, your lecture today, but one thing I worry about is, the way I sound. Um, I worry if I have a little accent or if people look at me strange when I talk to them. Mm. Um, what do you, what, do you have any advice for me? The, she, I, the, what she told me that day was, listen, in the future, when you go into management, it's not necessarily about the way you sound or what you say. It's about how you say it. Right. Right. It's about how you say whatever points you're making. Don't worry about if you sound pitchy or if you sound um, foreign or if you have an accent. Don't worry about that. Mm -hmm. you, what you should worry about is how you're delivering your points. Yeah. Um, also, and also another thing was um, be yourself, mm -hmm. you know. 
you like people follow leaders that are confident in themselves. Right. So be confident in the way you speak. Be confident when you're talking to other people, and naturally, people will listen to what you have to say. And um, and that really hit me. You know, wow. You know, why am I so concerned with how I sound? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, when when I should be concerned of other things. You know. Right. So um, so that 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 um, that was two years ago and um a lot of times I still have to remind myself wow you know that was good advice I should remember that you right. know when I, whenever I'm at work and stuff so well that's mm-hmm. good that someone did that for you because yeah I like yeah. I I never felt a, the whole time that we've spoken that it was difficult to understand like I you you have a like you you speak like you're from here but i can detect a little bit of a, a pronunciation thing you know that sounds because i grew up around some chinese kids too and like certain mm. ways in which i told you when i was watching you speak there were certain things like the way your mouth moved and the way I, my mouth moves when we say the same word mm-hmm. slightly different but that's because our um our first language our our vowel sounds and our consonant sounds are different you know, mm-hmm. so we have to adapt to, to it when we learn a different language or whatever. But I, at no point do I ever feel like I don't understand you. Okay. And I, I know that that's a concern of yours. But yeah, I mean, can I detect an accent? Yeah. Is it a deep accent? No. Okay. Well, that's that. I, thank you so much. <laughs> I feel really good about that. I will remember this this moment too later on. <laughs> no, especially as you started to, you know, like as we've talked that, you know, when you do translation, sometimes people are surprised that you speak uh, Cantonese as good as you do or Mandarin as good mm-hmm. as you do, and you're just like, but that's my those. That's those are the languages that I- mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it feels like you kind of can't win depending on who you're talking to, because someone's always going to mm-hmm. see, you know, an other in that situation. Uh, you mm-hmm. said to me something about growing up in Hong Kong, you weren't necessarily treated like a total outsider. People would eventually kind of accept that you're from there. That just it was the immediate like seeing that you're darker skinned and kind of surprised. Is that uh, is that true? I mean, is that how that felt? That's yes. Um, I can't speak for other um, multicultural families that mm-hmm. live there, but at least for my family standpoint, yes, I believe in the beginning, people look at us and say, "Oh, you know, the mom's black, the kids look weird." I don't know about this. So in right. the beginning, there's a bit hesitation when people look at us, mm-hmm. and then it turns to curiosity. So like, hmm, do they speak Cantonese? You know, do they have our culture? Right. Do they live here? You know, and then once they talk to us, um, you know, after a few conversations, after a few weeks or months, getting to know about our family, then then people finally warm up to us and say, okay, so they're they're part of us. They may be different, but they're part of us. So that's for the general sense. Um, people eventually do warm up to us, mm. um, and I. I asked my mom um, last year that she enjoyed living in Hong Kong, and her answer was yes. She loved living there as a Jamaican black woman. Mm. Um, you know, she, you know, she says she, you know, there there'll be racist people no matter where you go. Right. But um, she generally felt like um, Hong. She would move back to live there, and mm. um, and she, in a general sense, she she loved it there. So. Mm. 
That's that's interesting. And so did you in terms of how you have managed racism in your life, have you felt mm-hmm. it was different when you were in Hong Kong versus when you came to the States? Mm-hmm. I yes. So when when we were in Hong Kong, it was more direct. Mm-hmm. When we are in America, it's more like indirect kind of way. So I'll I'll explain. So when I was when I was in primary school, and it's the we call it primary school there. Mm-hmm. In the in the Hong Kong school system, there's the principal, there's the vice principal, there's and then there's teachers that are the head of each department. Well, from first grade to fifth grade, there was this teacher that was the head of disciplinary actions. And she did not like me. Oh. So for five years, from first grade to fifth grade, she was very direct in her discrimination against me. She would accuse me for harming other students, Mm. accuse me for... Um, cutting people, accused me for damaging school property. Oh my goodness. Um, um, she, she would, there was this one time in first grade, it was second semester in first grade, she wrote me up for biting my nail. What? Yes. She wrote me up for biting, like she, like it wasn't suspension, but she wrote me up right. and had me stand in front of the class and apologize to the class for biting my nails. Wow. So she was, that was very direct. And it happened for five years. Hmm. Um, and I, at that time, I knew, I knew what was going on. I, uh, like, I know I was kind of young, but I actually knew. And that's because my parents stood up for me. Hmm. They, every time the head of discipline action, this lady, let's, let's call her Miss Liu. Let's call her that. Every time Miss Liu brought up something against me, they would go to the principal and complain about her. Mm. It happened for five years, and and I feel like at like maybe third grade, like you know what, I'm just gonna deal with this lady, this this teacher not liking me, mm-hmm. you know. But my parents continued to vouch for me. She, they continued to tell me there is nothing wrong with you. I don't want you to make, don't let this teacher think that you're beneath her or beneath anybody. Mm. All right, we'll continue to support you, and that's how I know that you know. You know, it's I understood racism as it is. Mm-hmm. And then finally, um, sixth grade, um, she got transferred to another school. Mm-hmm. And sixth grade was great. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it um, that happened for five years. But that really taught me from earlier age, you know, um, to not let racism, you know, that type of racism bother me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still I'm. I'm still beautiful. I am. I should still be myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and life goes on. Don't let grades, but don't let this thing um, bother your grades. Don't let this bother, you know, your personality, your mental health. Um, and to have my parents um, support me was very important because right. I understand some, a lot of biracial, multiracial children, they may have grown up in a single household or maybe they never had the, um, had their parents um, support them or um, teach them about, or educate them a, a lot about racism uh-huh. at an early age. Yeah. But I had that lesson early. And I think because of that, um, it kind of prepared me, you know, for the rest of my life. So. Right. 
So you feel you oh, feel yeah. fairly confident in your biracialness, like you don't feel like you're lacking in any way or not enough of necessarily. Um, I think um, I'm I'm I I am glad, and I if I were to die and reborn again, I wouldn't change this part of myself. I'm right. proud that I'm Chinese and Jamaican. Um, I, I'm proud that I can speak two or three languages. Um, I think being biracial, you always have those moments where you're wondering, am I too, am I too Chinese? Am I too Jamaican? Mm-hmm. Should I fix my hair? Should right. I fix my hair to look more Chinese? Should I do my curls today because I'm with Jamaican people? You know, like there's right. always those questions that I have. Um, but, um, but I think having that racist lesson early in life, when I moved to America, I was proud that I'm mixed. Okay. Like I was telling everybody, Hey, I'm Chinese and Jamaican. I'm on a, you know, oh, yeah. you know, I was telling everybody that like, I was, I was proud that I'm mixed, you know, by the time I came to America, like I was, I was fo- more focused on my accent, right. but I was not focused about my race because I, I was proud of it. I was proud of being mixed. Nice. So that's mm-hmm. awesome. Did you face, so you said when you came to the States that you ended up in a predominantly black neighborhood. So for, yes. for the most part, you were looked at as a black kid with your fellow classmates and anything like that? Or did they <laughs> notice, like, did they have questions about why you were slightly different than them or anything? Yeah. So, so like I said, I was in ESL for a year in, in, um, in middle school. So if anything, middle school was my transitional time Mm -hmm. so that was when I learned to really immerse in American culture I um I started to wear jeans (laughs) Um, I started to watch American shows um I was trying to work on you know um my pronouncing and enunciate Uh English words better so middle school it was a lot more questioning in middle school because that was my transitional period it's so funny Um, that you say that you started to wear jeans because that seems to be so i mean it does seem to be such an american thing that it would be like i'm i must be in america now i'm wearing jeans (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) i started wearing jeans um yeah um and then high school um I felt like high school was uh, went on pretty good. Um, high school, I got the, from my standpoint, I got English down. You know, I can mingle with, with more people and, you know, try to learn some, you know, black word like, you know, ghetto words, <laughs> hang out with the black kids and go, go play volleyball and basketball, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so I think high school, um, was, 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 was very fun. You know, I, um, I was able to um, gain more American friends then. Mm. So, Did, were there mm. any other Asians of any kind in the the area that you were at? So, good question. So, when we moved to America, I think our situation flipped. Where in Hong Kong, you know, my family was trying to teach us English. In when we moved to America, I feel like um, we were trying to maintain. Our Chinese culture. Right. The, the part, the area where we moved to was mainly black mm-hmm. folks and black culture, but not many Asian, like, like whether it's Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai or, or whatnot, mm-hmm. like barely any Asian in that area. Mm. So, um, so it, 
it became my dad from my mom's responsibility teaching us English to now it became my dad's responsibility to like, hey, let's maintain. you know, it's let's let's maintain this culture. It's good to, you know, remember your Chinese and our culture. So what my dad would do is, you know, Chinese New Year, we're going to Chinatown. Whether it's um the Boston Chinatown or the New York Chinatown or whatever Chinatown that's close by right. or the Washington DC Chinatown, like we're going to Chinatown right. for New Year. <laughs> you know, um, at home we continue to speak in in, in Cant- Cantonese every summer. So it's it's very Asian to have summer homework. Mm-hmm. That's a very Asian thing. So every summer, my dad would have us, you know, do like essays in Chinese and like watch Chinese movies and stuff. Okay, so, so keep that going for you. Mm-hmm. Did you feel and, like your Chinese dipped at all? Like, did you was it harder to keep up on writing or reading? as you got more assimilated into your, your American mm-hmm. life? Uh, I think in, I think in college it dipped a little bit because I was very focused on studying. Uh-huh. Um, I was so focused on oh, college is so hard. I like 18 credits to d- for this semester, you know, I was so focused on that. <laughs> That's a very, a very Asian mm-hmm. thing to do too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't, like, I went to, so I went to a school, I went to college and grad school to the same school. Um, my alma mater is known for their sports team. I didn't go to any sports teams for the six years I was there. Oh, wow. And my school is known for sports. So like, I was so focused on academics. It's so Asian, I guess. But mm-hmm. I've never been to a basketball game or football game. Mm-hmm. Never. Mm-hmm. But um, but after college, I guess, um, after college, so I told you this, I work in healthcare. And I, I think working in healthcare allows me, allowed me to um, get more into, um, back into it. So I moved. I moved away from my family mm-hmm. um, for school and I stayed. I'm still here. I stayed at the same place as I was where um, I went to school. So it's more urban here. And the, the hospital that I work at um, has a lot of uh, families, um, mixed families going, including Chinese families. Mm. So me being able to interact with these people on a weekly basis. And also there are more Chinese churches in this area. Okay. You know, um, just more Chinese in general. Uh, in this place compared to where uh, you know yeah. I initially moved to, mm-hmm. um, kind of got me back into the culture and the talking. So, so yeah, right. And mm-hmm. ha- how's your mom's Chinese? Is it pretty sh- decent? Oh, good question. I didn't ask yeah. that the last time, and as soon as we hung up, I was like, oh man, I didn't ask. So, so um, my mom surprises me. Sometimes I don't hear her speak Chinese for a long time, and I wonder, mm-hmm. um, maybe she forgot. Mm. <laughs> I feel so bad. And then three weeks ago, I went, I drove home to see my family, and um, we were we we were talking about watching Ip Man four. So uh-huh. for so some people don't know, um, it's a very popular movie martial arts movie series from Hong Kong. So the last movie came out the four. So we're talking about going to see Ip Man for and and it's a Cantonese movie. And my mom started dropping Cantonese. I'm like, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> she still got it. Nice. <laughs> so yeah, so um my mom my mom's a nurse. 
So when we we lived in Hong Kong, she had to learn Cantonese in order mm-hmm. to take care of patients. So, so when we were in Hong Kong, she was definitely fluent. Mm. Um, when we moved here, she probably used, didn't use it as much. But um, but I think my mom still knows a lot. I mean, I mean, she's still married to my dad. Yeah. So. And if it happens to have a Chinese family enter the hospital that she's at, she could really surprise them but yes. <laughs> yes she actually told me this recent story um a year ago there was this there was a elderly chinese woman that came to her hospital and um and the cantonese word for cold is very similar to the cantonese word for pain mm. so so um this this lady was 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 talking about you know I'm in pain, but then and then and then a few minutes later she started talking about I'm cold. So my mom in front of the doctors and nurses asked in Cantonese, I need you to clarify, did you mean cold or pain? Because mm-hmm. they they both sound very similar. Mm-hmm. And everyone just looked at her like, what? wait, what? <laughs> what just happened? Like. Did she just go on Google to try to do that, or did that just that that just randomly came out of her mouth? Um, so, so the patient was talking about she was having pain in you know in one part of her body, not being cold. Mm. Um, so my mom was giving me that experience a year ago, where you know, like she she dropped that in front of everyone, and um, and they were presently surprised that she yeah <laughs> she, she could say that yeah. And it's the difference between so, getting proper treatment or not for that patient. Yep. That's awesome. Okay, so we have we didn't get a chance to talk much about what access to Jamaican heritage and culture you had growing up and and mm. now that you are married to a Jamaican man and you're having more access to Jamaican culture, what feels like what you grew up knowing and what feels like what you learned because you're married to a Jamaican man? Mm. So I think um, I I I think this is the best time for me to mention my hair struggles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, me being mixed, I have the typical curly hair mm-hmm. as someone that's uh, the typical mixed um, type of hair, and I feel like growing up, I've I just. I feel I don't want to use the word ashamed, maybe a little bit, but I feel awkward being with Chinese people with curly hair. Right. I don't feel I don't feel I just don't feel Chinese enough, Um, especially when they call me in to translate for a patient. Like, you know what? I know tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. and translate. Let me, you know, straighten my hair a little bit and you'll look more presentable and all of that. Mm. Um, But um, now with my husband being Jamaican and you know, trying to be be more closer to this heritage. Um, for this year, 2020, um, th- my goal is to be more um, accepting mm-hmm. and more freeing of my my curly hair. So not, don't worry about straightening it when I'm going to see a bunch of Chinese people. Don't worry about straightening it when I'm going to a meeting um, or... Um, you know, or any any important or formal event, you know, I can, you know, I can rock it with my curls, you know, and I shouldn't have to worry about how it looks or how messy it is, you know. Right. So, um, so I feel like now, now I'm 
I'm probably I'm gaining the confidence that I don't think I've had for a long time about mm. my hair. And that's what I really look forward to um, in this this year, 2020, um, being very comfortable with this hair. I'm not worried about, you know, um, not worry about and be accepting. If I'm accepting of my of me being Chinese and Jamaican, I should be accepting of my hair. Right. right? So yeah. it's probably one of a few of the most visible aspects of you that shows your mixed heritage, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of, in terms of your presentation and everything. So growing up like with food and, and access to things that would be considered very Jamaican, even mm-hmm. while you were in China, did you, was your mom able to share aspects of her culture with you or, or because it was a focus um, on trying to not make you so stand out as yeah. a mixed kid, did they try to keep you more Chinese? Mm-hmm. So, so when we were in Hong Kong, there, there isn't, when I say isn't, there isn't, um, resources there for black people. Right. So, um, so that could be why, you know, um, most of my life I've been trying to keep my hair straight because, you know, I started out living in a place where there's no products right. for curly hair. So and it's not even like you can drive to the next town and find a, a black hairdresser or something like that. No, too. <laughs> no, there, you know, so my, when we were living in Hong Kong, my mom would call her relatives in America to ship her um, black products. Right. Um, every two months, because where is she going to get it in China? Right, like, right. She, you know, so, um, so. So, um, so growing up, well, at least we uh, we were in Hong Kong. Like, so, wow, you know, mom has to special order products from out of the country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then while at that, my mom would like, my mom wouldn't know what to do with our hair. So, you know what? Just like get some oil, just you know, um, oil up your hair, brush it back, and put it on a bun. Mm-hmm. So that's what that was my hairstyle for most of you know for most of my childhood right and then when we came to america there was more access but i was still you know oh i'm not sure about my curls so i um i just there were no pictures in middle school and high school with curly hair of me oh, really it's just yeah there's none none at all um it's talking about food when i was in hong kong you know there's the typical curry chicken curry goat ox tail these don't exist in hong kong right they just, they just don't so um i we did go to jamaica twice as a kid mm-hmm. uh as a kid so those were my only two interactions um of jamaica is to legitimately flying there mm-hmm. and i've like, seen my grandma there and my extended family there um and those were very nice you know i'm like you know i'm my my mom you know did try to you know expose us to that and I think definitely moving to America has allowed me to you know get more closer Mm -hmm. um to that side um you know do you have a palate for Jamaican food like does your mouth respond well to it um having grown up without those flavors actually um I love spices and I grew up eating Chinese spicy food, mm-hmm. so that kind of prepared me for the Jamaican spiciness. So, um, so yeah, that um, 
that wasn't a problem, at least. Um, <laughs> at least the spice stuff um, is not a problem. So you were telling yeah. me over the holidays when you visited your family most recently, it was the first time that you can remember, you realized that there was a crossover food that you have between both of your cultures. Yes. You want to talk about that? Yes. Yes. Chicken feet. <laughs> I mean, it is something yes. from both cultures. It's just, and yes. you could probably make it so many different ways so that like today we want Chinese chicken feet and mm -hmm. tomorrow we want Jamaican chicken feet. So mm -hmm. how, how exactly did you stumble on it? So um, we, so the Thursday after Christmas, um, my whole family went to Chinatown. And when we were at Chinatown, we ate, we went to the, the traditional Chinese Cantonese restaurant, um, Sao Lao. Um, and there you eat dim sum. Um, it's mm -hmm. different. Those are food that are steamed or fried and presented on baskets. Mm -hmm. And you have this woman pushing a cart around the around the restaurant saying, hey, do you want something from my cart? You just look mm -hmm. at the, the cart, see if you want anything. If yes, take a take a few baths, if not, go. So that particular day, um, we ordered a lot of chicken feet. <laughs> um, chicken feet in Chinese is feng zhao. That particular dish, um, feng zhao, that actually means um, the claw of phoenix. So the claw of phoenix comes out. Um, um, my husband and I don't eat pork, so we order a lot of chicken. So we ordered probably like five plates of chicken feet that's red colored and and it's spicy. So red spicy chicken feet. Mm -hmm. Then the next day, the next day, my mom was home and she was she was making soup. And she said, hey, you know, it's Friday, you know, I'm going to make something good for you guys. And then she came out with a bowl of Jamaican soup with chicken feet in it. <laughs> and that was when it dawned on me, like, wow, yeah, this is the connecting force of both of our cultures, <laughs> you know? That's awesome. Um, so yeah, it, I don't know why it took me that long to, to realize that, but, um, but yes, chicken feet. Chinese and Jamaican, bam. <laughs> <laughs> so now that you are married to a Jamaican man and your 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 life is starting to kind of veer more into Jamaican culture, do you feel like you're I, I know we're not really wanting to use the word regret, so um, trying to find a different word. Do you feel like, does it make you happy that you now have access to it? Or do you feel mm. uh, kind of sad or upset? May, I don't know what word to use about like not necessarily getting it when you were younger. Hmm. Hmm. I think, I think uh, I'm happy that everything my life was seg segmented like that mm -hmm. I think um is so I spent my first 12 years of my life in China so that kind of gave me a baseline of the language and culture that I that I have mm -hmm. and then moving to America and having those those you know years of transition kind of give me some time to reflect and and um discover and think about what's it like being biracial. Um, and then for me to marry a Jamaican man now, um, I feel like it's 
it's not, I mean, I'm, let me just say, I didn't marry him because I want to be Jamaican. You know, I love, him. <laughs> yeah. you know, I love him. He's my handsome, sexy chocolate, you know. Um, but um, but I think, you know, now um, to be, to have the opportunity to be um, closer to my Jamaican culture now, I think it just fits perfectly in my timeline right. in my life. Um because I think if I would have jumped from China to Jamaica immediately, that might have been might have been a big cultural shock. Okay. So um, I think it was actually good that we moved to America and gave me the time to, you know, um, have the space to to, you know, to reflect on oh, who I am. I'll work um, to learn English, obviously, mm-hmm. but um, with all the different experiences I've had, you know, with the learning English, be more confident with my voice and speaking and all that, I think it all prepared me to now, now that I can move on to the next step, which is, you know, be confident with my curly hair mm-hmm. and um, explore more of my Jamaican side. So, right. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the hair thing is a pretty big deal for a lot of us. And um, I think as we as the show continues on, we'll probably end up talking about this a lot more. I mean, it comes up so often that <laughs> to be able to just kind of focus in that area, um, you know, when we were children, I mean, I'm like 20 years older than you almost. But um, uh, when we were children, we had no products for mixed hair. There was mm-hmm. just black products or just other products, and you had to mm-hmm. work with what you had. Mm-hmm. And the kind of misconception <laughs> about what could have, you know, mixed hair could be the difference between a mixed kid having hair that was presentable and a mixed kid who just looked wild and crazy, or their hair was burnt off mm-hmm. early, like what happened with me. Um, oh, no. You know, because we didn't, no one knew how to take care of it. And now, mm-hmm. you know, now we're lucky that we have people who have started to invent products that are specific to our various kinds of hair. And um, I think as you start to explore your hair journey too, what'll be so much more helpful to you now than would have been when you were in middle school is mm-hmm. there's a product out there that will be the right thing for you. And you'll, mm-hmm. you'll be able to feel proud and happy and beautiful mm-hmm. and all those things that you mm-hmm. are. Yeah. So we're coming close to the end. I really enjoy getting a chance to, to speak to, well, obviously I have a mixed race show. I like to talk to all of us, but <laughs> getting a chance to see a different, a different Asian culture mixed with a different black culture from my own kind of, mm. yeah, it helps me to not think of like all black Asians are this way. You know, it's easy oh. to kind of pigeonhole myself because like, this is my experience. So obviously all black Asians have this experience, but you know, you know, that kind of thing, like you, you trick yourself into thinking this. So mm-hmm. I, I really like getting a chance to, to hear uh, your experience and, and the fact that you grew up for part of your life in China and then came to the States and, and things like that really shows me. It's just something I guess I missed out on. Like I didn't, I got to live in a house with a Japanese lady. I didn't get to go to Japan. You know, I didn't get mm-hmm. to grow up in Japan. So I always mm-hmm. feel kind of an, uh, a pull there or an a- like an absence of Japan sort of, I guess, in my life. And mm-hmm. it's nice that you got to have that exposure to, to mm-hmm. everywhere and, that you're from. And I'm, on, and I'm actually going to Jamaica in July. Oh, I'll are be you? there for two weeks. Yes. Yeah, so that that. um. So, yeah, it, everything just ties on really perfectly, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm excited to go to Jamaica. 
Um, I haven't been there for four or five years now. And oh, okay. um, so we'll be going in July for two weeks to see my side of family there, my husband's side of family there. And um, and hopefully I'll be even closer right. to um, my, um, my Jamaican roots there. So Right. That's mm-hmm. awesome. So I like to ask everybody who comes on the show, what is your favorite thing about being mixed? Hmm. <laughs> I think... My favorite thing being mixed is that, um, wow, that's a heavy question, actually. <laughs> yeah. I think being mixed makes me different, and it's given me a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. that, um, to talk to different people. Um, and a lot of opportunities in terms of work or um, or different things, and I think that's that's a good thing. I also think being mixed also um, I also think being mixed is the best thing about being mixed is that I I appreciate um, cultures mm. so. If I'm just, I, I'm not saying, you know, if you're just one race, mm-hmm. you don't appreciate culture. But I feel like because I have the Chinese culture, the Jamaican culture and the American culture all mixed and together. And, you know, I speak another language or two. Mm-hmm. It kind of um, cultured me in a bit where um, I understand, like, I'm open to um More learning for people. And- yes. Yes. Like, um, like. You know, today is, um, I hope I can say this, today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Mm-hmm. And and uh, there's a lot of discussion today about the civil rights movement and how black people has gone a long way from getting acceptance and um, going into high place in America. And, you know, me being mixed allows me to understand that. Like, I have empathy. I understand why it's it's a struggle for black people. Right. You know, um, I feel like if I'm, if I'm fully Chinese, it's just me. If I'm fully Chinese, I may not understand that. Right. But the fact that I'm half black, my mom's black and my husband's black and my future kids is black. I am like, I understand why, you know, um, why it's a great achievement that um, black people now you know, can go to school like other people that can become CEOs, can be the president, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so um, so the fact that I I have that I'm cultured, I, I think that's the best part about being mixed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, thank you again for coming on the show. And I really appreciate the conversations we've had so far. I hope we can continue to have more conversations. Um, and come back and talk a little bit more about your hair journey once you get further along and you feel more comfortable and confident mm-hmm. and everything. Uh, before we wrap up, though, why don't you tell everybody how they can um, find you or what it is that you're going to be doing over the next month? Sure. So I started an Instagram page um, a month or two ago. So please follow me. I talk a lot of um my, I share a lot of my hair journey. I talk a lot about my my uh, my hobbies with comic books, Batman, Wonder, Wonder Woman, all of that. So Instagram at Mona Lisa 
0526. You can follow me there. Mm-hmm. Also, um, I will be starting uh, a YouTube channel within the next month by February. It will be a channel um, for three things. Number one, talk about curly hair. Number two, um, ha- um, the different all natural products that you can use for your curly hair because I I don't use chemicals in my household. I only use all natural things. So a lot. So what are some good products, natural products for your curly hair? And number three, start a conversation about culture and being biracial. I think um, we need more YouTube channels mm-hmm. and um, and spaces on YouTube for for these discussion and. And um, I'm in the works to start a channel in the next few weeks. So, right. so stay tuned. I will share more on Instagram. Yeah. When, when you get it up and running, we'll we'll talk about it again on the show mm-hmm. so that people can can know where to, to check you out. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mona Lisa, so much for reaching out to me and also to come on the show. I'm definitely going to be one of your big fans watching your YouTube channel and everything. And... Thank you for exposing me to another aspect of of Black Asian Asian life. So thank you so much. Thank you. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, The One. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantlymixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.